Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Well, hello, Stateside Madness, and welcome back to a very special two-part episode of the podcast. And we're going to be talking about the man himself, Suggs, today. And there's so much to talk about. That's why we thought we would dedicate two episodes to it. So I am Polly, and my partner here is Lori. Say hello, Lori. Hello, Lori. Um, so let's get right into it, Lori. Yeah. So, um, first of all, since this is an American podcast, if you're listening to this thinking this is going to be about Terrell Suggs, the football player, you are going to be disappointed. Graham Suggs McPherson, who is the lead singer of the band Madness. I wanted to start off, Polly, I was going back through, you remember I was saying how my first Madness CD was that Total Madness compilation. And I went back and I looked at the liner notes. I looked at, I went back and looked at the liner notes and um, I thought this was really cool. So the liner notes have a, an intro by Dickie Barrett, who's the lead singer of the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And they were a huge ska punk band here in the 90s. And so he wrote, it, it was all about getting Suggs' autograph. I guess he and some friends heard that they were playing at Saturday Night Live in 1984. And so they hung out outside, um, boy, where were they, where's that, 30 Rock? Is that where they were shooting Saturday Night Live? They hung out outside and waited for the band. And when the band came out, they met the band. So Dickie Barrett wrote, that night we caught Madness's performance, exited the NBC building, stood out front on the sidewalk waiting for our heroes to emerge. When they finally did, we were speechless. Suggs broke the silence. Why don't you come along with us? The rest of the night, we rolled with madness from club to club, bar to bar, 
talking about music, friendships, baseball, football, in parentheses, soccer, growing up in Boston, growing up in London, and then at one point when no one was looking, I slid a wrinkled cocktail napkin in front of my new friend Suggs, who pulled out a black magic marker and gave me his autograph. I thought that was a really cool story to begin with because first of all, I think it shows Suggs is just a genuine, very approachable person. But also I think it's very significant because a lot of Americans might not know madness, but Madness has been so influential on a lot of the music that Americans have really come to like, like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones or Less Than Jake or, you know, any of these other really big ska punk bands. They would not be around without Suggs and without Madness. So I think that that's a very important thing to acknowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I would say that Dickie really continues that uh, tradition and that uh, sort of ethos um, uh, being from New England, the Boston's are pretty well like uh, our home team. And uh, I've been able to meet Dickie on uh, more than a couple occasions uh, because he is that type of gracious, you know, gracious guy. He does hang out after the performances. He is very willing to cycle through a whole crowd of people and give them uh, autographs if they want, say hello, ask how they're doing. Just a genuinely, genuinely good guy. And uh, I still have a little Boston Celtics trinket that he wrote uh, 33, Larry Bird's number on the back of for me. So yeah, I, I think it uh, a credit to both Suggs and Dickey to be the type of people that don't build a barrier between themselves and the fans. Excellent. All right, so to get started, one one thing of note, and I know that Donald, who is our stateside madness uh, blog keeper, had written about uh, how he was always referring to him as Suggs McPherson, Suggs McPherson, and that uh, British people kind of looked at him funny. Because over in Britain, he is just known as Suggs, one name, right, like Cher. However, I think it's interesting that both his official website and his Instagram are under the name Suggs McPherson, not just Suggs. So I don't know. I think the verdict's still out on that. So he was born uh, Graham McPherson, January 13th, 1961 in Hastings, Sussex. So his mother was a jazz singer named Edwina Gower. Uh, so he spent most of his childhood and Soho jazz clubs as his mother performed. You know, she didn't have a sitter most nights. So he'd actually just kind of be sitting at the bar while his mother performed. So as a result of that, I'm under the impression that he really did not have a lot of uh, friends his own age because he was moving around in these, these jazz club circles. The family did move around a lot from place to place. His father was named William Rutherford McPherson. According to Suggs' autobiography, he left when Suggs was three years old. It's, it's kind of sad, really. You know, Suggs has sometimes wondered what happened to his dad. You know, wh wh why hasn't he been in touch? If he was still alive, I imagine he would have contacted me. But in 2012, Suggs learned that his father had died back in 1975, and he learned it by reading his own Wikipedia entry. And I think that's really a sad 
unfortunate way to to have to learn of your your father's demise like that i think that's it's telling uh before he knew his father had died he had said what i've heard hasn't been good heroin injecting his eyeballs with paraffin and being sectioned so being sectioned is uh hospitalization usually for mental illness usually it's involuntary uh the word we would use over here is committed you're committed to an institution that injecting his eyeballs with paraffin though i don't get that i don't get what what i, I i've made candles out of paraffin what what would that do for somebody i don't understand i yeah i think um when i saw that uh little bit that really struck me as such a peculiar and terrifying thing and I briefly went online looking today to see uh, what was meant of that and uh, injecting intravenous drugs into the eyeball, I guess is apparently a thing, but paraffin treatments were something that uh, a bit of uh, snake oil sort of, you know, flim flam, uh, not real cure for anything sort of process that was done often. Uh, it's, uh, it boggles the mind that people would Think that that helped in any respect yeah so uh, and injecting into the eyeballs it's just ew 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 so i mean obviously this this man was was very sick that he would resort to something like that so hopefully he's at peace now so the nickname Suggs. do you know where he got the nickname Suggs, polly uh yeah so um it was uh, a jazz musician peter Suggs. And I guess the story goes that there was an encyclopedia of jazz musicians, Suggs, our Suggs, Graham McPherson, pulled it from that encyclopedia. Another thing I was bothered by that there exists an encyclopedia of jazz musicians, but, but there you go. Because, you know, the name Graham McPherson is a very ethnic sounding name. It's Scottish. You know, growing up in Britain, I guess he wanted something a little less ethnic sounding. So he just kind of hit on that name Suggs. I guess he just kind of randomly turned to a page, put his finger on it. Boop, that's the name. So after that, he insisted on being called Suggs and he actually wouldn't answer in school when they called attendance unless they called him Suggs. If they called on Graham, he would not answer. And he started uh, spray painting all around town graffiti. Suggs is our leader and Suggs is everywhere. And there was a, a humorous anecdote because as you know, Polly, at, at that point, um, uh, Kicks and uh, Chrissy Boy and Mr. B, right? The other members of Madness, they hadn't met yet, but they were tagging around town too. Supposedly when they finally met Suggs, Tomo says to him, oh, so you're our leader, eh? <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but that's, <laughs> that's an amusing anecdote. Yep. Um, uh, so early on in his life, uh, Suggs uh, did bounce around quite a bit, a very uh, transitory lifestyle. And uh, at about age eight, he moved in with his Aunt Diana and uh, three cousins, including Hector. Uh, Hector would then later go on to work for the band um, and is seen in the beginning of the Bed and Breakfast Man video. And in his mid-teens, uh, Sugg worked as a delivery boy for a butcher and I do believe a couple other um, menial jobs in there as well. 
guess he viewed himself more as uh, a bit of a, a football hooligan than a criminal. Always a big supporter of the Chelsea FC soccer team. So it's interesting to me, growing him growing up with this, you know, as you mentioned, a, a very kind of bohemian transient lifestyle, but with all these musicians around him, right, and growing up in this kind of a musical atmosphere, and apparently he wasn't really thinking about a career in music, which is interesting because it, in retrospect, it seems inevitable, doesn't it? You know, growing up in all these jazz clubs, of course he's going to end up doing something musical. Uh, you mentioned Hector, his cousin, and uh, Hector, I think, was probably the closest thing he had to a friendship of someone his own age. And so that was really for him a very formative relationship, a very positive relationship that continued throughout his years of madness. As you mentioned, Hector had worked for the band for a while. All right. So, um, you know, again, he was really just kind of hanging out, you know, doing, doing the things that teenagers do. He was friends with a guy named John Hassler. And uh, John Hassler had these friends that were in a band called the North London Invaders and Suggs met the rest of the band through this friend. Um, the Invaders had had a singer named Dickron Tulane who had just left the band. So they were looking for a new singer. Suggs says he was invited to audition for the band after they heard him singing at the top of his voice on the way home from the cinema. So I don't know if it was really good or if it was just something in his personality, but they invited him to audition to take Dickron's place. The story goes, the song he sang at the audition was See You Later Alligator by Bill Haley and the Comets. Now, I don't think any recordings exist of this audition, but they recreated the scene for the movie, Man Is Take It or Leave It, and I just want to play a little snippet of this. This is Suggs singing See You Later Alligator with Madness. Suggs is with the band for uh, what might be arguably like a brief period of time. Uh, he was fired from the band for missing uh, too many rehearsals, presumably to go watch uh, Chelsea FC. But then at, at some point he recognized that um, Mike Barson had put an ad in Melody Maker, a semi-professional North London band, seek professionally minded singer. Suggs recognized the phone number, gave a call up, and according to legend, uh, you know, had a bit of a put-on, made-up voice, and uh, inquired uh, what had happened to the previous singer. Uh, Barson tells him that he was fired for being 
fired for being unprofessional, and then apparently Suggs lets loose and has at Mike and, uh, you know, up one side, down the other, screaming profanities, uh, but somehow uh, still made his, uh, ingratiated himself, made his way back into the band. Um, at that point, he took over for John Hasler. Uh, Suggs did a little bit um, in the way of playing drums, uh, but was eventually fired as the drummer too. Um, yeah, John Hasler had, uh, had gone away temporarily, taken a trip to France, and Suggs was the only person that they knew who might know the songs, uh, know the guys in the band. Uh, and apparently Chrissy Boy called him up again and said, hey, want to come back? You know, we, we need a little bit of help. And I believe uh, his tenure was pretty well interrupted from that point. And that's him back in the band. So while Suggs was with Madness, he met the singer of another band called Death School. He was introduced through his producer, Clive Langer. Death School was, they had a few hits over in Britain, uh, really unknown here in the States. But one of the singers of the band, she had the stage name Betty Bright. Her real name was Ann Martin. And uh, they fell in love. And they got married in 1981. Chaz Smash was the best man. They've been together ever since. Uh, it's really kind of a, a very rare, I think, in, in showbiz, one of those rare enduring marriages. Um, I want to play just a little snippet of a song that uh, Betty Bright, a.k.a. Ann Martin, is singing on. This is Death School. This is called Taxi. And we were having such a good time. So we have something. <laughs> we have something new this week. There's a, a new segment that Polly is going to be doing semi regularly. Polly, you want to talk about what this new segment is going to be? Sure. So uh, Lori, as you might know, is a college professor. Uh, very ready to do research. Uh, very detail orientated just all together on it and does an awful lot of our research. Uh, so myself, on the other hand, I'm just kind of a workaday schlub and uh, boy, doing homework is not my thing. And uh, so when we got talking about Suggs, I was panicked and I'm like, what am I gonna do? And I realized that it's 2020 and nobody can say that the things you say aren't true if you just commit to it. So I thought, you know, there's all these people out there with their alternative facts. And uh, I said, you know, they can't have all the fun. I'm going to be doing some of it too. All I need is a belief in what I'm saying and a bunch of gullible people to uh, go along with it. And that's where our fans come in. So uh, we put together a, a sort of uh, list of uh, facts about Suggs you might not have been aware of, 
And we're going to call this segment, Don't Quote Me on That. All right, and so here are some alternative facts about Suggs. First one, Suggs carved the Easter Island statues based on his assumption of what Betters, Tomo, and Chrissy Boy would look like in 2020. Suggs has the strength of 10 men who each have one-tenth the strength of a normal man. Suggs has only cried once when Woody explained the Tooth Fairy doesn't pay for teeth procured during bar fights. Suggs continues to believe that Spinal Tap is a real documentary. Suggs' only failure was when he tried to start a charity that granted wishes to children with mild colds. Suggs doesn't have to question whether Sasquatch is real or not. That's not a bearskin rug in his den. Side effects of Suggs may include increased heart rate, restlessness, and a compulsive desire to smack the shit out of UB40. up as, as Polly mentioned we're going to split this up into two episodes so um this episode we're going to focus mostly on Suggs's contribution to madness uh as both a singer and a songwriter and then in the next episode we're going to talk about all the other stuff that Suggs has done um he's not too well known here in the states but over in Britain he's known for being an actor a television host a DJ a bunch of other stuff so we're going to focus today specifically on uh, his work with Madness. So, okay. so uh, as you mentioned, Polly, he was pretty much a fixture of the band ever since. Uh, the lead singer uh, contributed a lot to the songwriting. So as we've done in previous episodes with other band members, Polly and I have uh, picked our top five songs that Suggs has contributed to as a writer or a co-writer. And we're limiting this specifically to Madness for this episode. Now this one was tricky, Polly, because you sent me your list and just about everything you had on your list was on my list. So I reworked my list a little bit just so we could really showcase a wider variety of, of songs. So my number five pick for a song that was co-written by Suggs is Yesterday's Men. Let's give a listen. 
It's uh, it's bittersweet. You know, we talked about it a little bit in our previous episode, and we talked about the album Mad Not Mad. But there's an underlying current of hope, right? It has to get better in the long run. It must get better in the long run. I think, Polly, you, you already kind of talked about that song, too, in the last episode. You probably don't have anything you want to add here, do you? <laughs> well, just a, a little bit. Um, so when we get to my next pick, um, I picked it because of my fondness for uh, songwriting that is lyrically, um, you know, uh, that sort of slice of life, you know, depiction of, uh, you know, what it's like living in London, growing up in London and things like that. And I've said that on quite a few podcasts. I really like that type of storytelling in songs. And I think the flip side of that is that you can't be that type of songwriter without having a real, real strong um, sentimentality to you. And I think, you know, Yesterday's Man is definitely in that vibe. Um, definitely representative of that type of sentimentality in songwriting. Well, Polly, what was your number five pick for a uh, Suggs co-written song? Okay, so number five is one of those slice of life uh, songs I like so much. It is shut up and another another song about the boys in the band behaving badly let's take a listen Tell me a little bit about what you think of Shut Up. Oh, you know, I love it. Especially the piano. I think the piano is great. But uh, no, it's, it's, the the lyrics are brilliant. I absolutely love the song. Uh, As a matter of, (laughs) as a matter of fact, uh, you know, making a plate of spaghetti for my husband and I'm like, pasta blame and don't blame me. All right, should we move on? <laughs> yeah, thank. Please. Yeah, I, I, I'm the dad here. I, I should I should lay claim to all the dad jokes. All right. Well, Polly, you and I have the same number four. Do you want to introduce our number four? Sure. Uh, like Lori said, there was an awful lot of crossover in what our picks were. She was gracious enough to back out and uh, come up with some on her own, but we could not deny uh, our number four pick. Uh, we both wanted it. Um, and so number four is Waiting for the Ghost Train. And let's take a listen. Mm-hmm. 
chested man A pocket full of posies with a hat brim full of sandalwood Waiting for the train that never comes A duck chasing the tumbleweeds across the sandy floor A drift along the platform through the ticket office door Waiting for the train that never comes Waiting for the train that never comes But don't tell me there's nothing coming You don't fool me I hear the ghost train rumbling along the track Right, so Lori, I'll, I'll I'll start in with a couple of comments on Ghost Train. All right. Um, I I remember uh, as a child uh, riding in the back seat of the car, and my parents' selection for radio stations was uh, an oldies station. Um, and even at that time, uh, the '70s to the '60s, uh, I don't know why they called it oldies, but they did. Um, and uh, a song on there that was quite prevalent was Green Door. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but rhythmically and melodically, it sounds a great deal like Ghost Train, at least, at least parts of it. And it has a bit of that rolling boogie-woogie piano uh, that's uh, not as prevalent in Ghost Train. But uh, melodically, I just think there's a lot of similarity there. Lyrically, of course, the, the song is a great deal more heady. It's, you know, it's about apartheid, as we mentioned uh, recently in another podcast. But nonetheless, just a fantastic song. Un undeniably awesome song. One of my favorite Madness songs. What are your thoughts, Lori? I don't think I can follow that up with anything quite so profound. Um, I just think it's catchy. Now, the, the, the first time I heard this song, was in 2012. I had, uh, I was in my doctoral program. I had just finished my comp exams, which is a big step before you can do your doctoral dissertation and, and get your doctorate. You have to pass these comp exams and it's like a week long exam and they, they advise you to take the week off of work, which I didn't do. Um, and I had just passed my comp exams. And so to celebrate, I bought uh, the um, Divine Madness CD DVD set. And that is the first time I had ever heard this song. Uh, so I associate that in my mind with my, th this milestone of my finishing my exams. So not as, not as intellectual as your analysis, I'm afraid. All right. Oh, I don't, I don't hear. <laughs> I don't hear me and the word intellectual wind up in the same sentence very often. Um, so, uh, Lori, moving on, what's your number three pick? Oh, you know, I had to pick the communicator.
it is just such a fun song, you know? I mean, it's impossible to not get up and dance with that kind of a beat. Plus, we've got both Suggs and Chess sharing lyrical duties here, which I always like, that kind of back and forth. It's, it's just a very uplifting song. I don't know. That <laughs> it is, and uh, I, I'm a big fan of just uh, repeating a bunch of nonsense syllables as part of a chorus and just kind of going at it. So uh, I definitely love the song. So speaking of loving songs, um, my number three is, I, I think one of the more underrated Madness songs. I just don't know why it wasn't uh, a lot more prominent uh, when you, you know, people are talking about great Madness songs. So number three for me is Never Ask Twice. me about your views on Never Asked Twice. I was really surprised when I saw this in your uh, your your top five. I I don't know this this song is barely even on my radar maybe because it was you know like a bonus track. They deserve some credit for including the words hallucinogenic drugs in the song. You don't encounter that too often in song lyrics. It, it, it's different. Why did you choose it? I, I just think it's fantastic. I um, I love the uh, perspective of a, a world traveler, uh, adventure type thing. Um, for the most part, you could imagine Indiana Jones singing it, um, and I think it's a you know it's a real bouncy song as well. I I just uh, I don't know. It's always been one of my favorites, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a lesser known madness song. Um, it was never released on in any format in the United States, but it does appear on the business and it was released. I, a couple of countries had it on the keep moving. Um, I think Australia did. Um, but nonetheless, fantastic madness song. One of my favorites. All right. Well, let's move on to our number two. So my number two selection, which is co-written by Suggs, is Wings of a Dove.
So what do you think of that one, Polly? Uh, it's undeniably fun song. Uh, you know, it does have heavy on instrumentation that doesn't usually exist in the band, as does the, um, uh, you know, the choral singers as well. You know, uh, steel drum, Caribbean sound, uh, there's just not a lot to not like there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, stands, it stands out as a very different type of madness song, but uh, somehow still fits. Yeah, you know, and again, like like my previous selection, I, I think that the lyrics are very uplifting. You know, look up at the rooftops when you're walking around. Don't think for a moment of looking down. You know, it's always like, you know, chin up and, and you know, just experience what life has to offer. And, and uh, just, again, a really fun, fun song for me. So your number two, Polly, would have been would have been my number two. So do you want to introduce your number two? Okay. Uh, a song that makes its way into very nearly episode, every episode we have. Uh, it is Nightboat to Cairo. So there we go, Nightboat to Cairo. We talk about it an awful lot, but it's right up there. It's, it's pretty well my second favorite Madness song. And a crowd favorite, a fan favorite, it's Hallmark Madness. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah. What do you think, Lori? I think that there's nothing more that I can say about this that we haven't already said in the previous four or five episodes that we've played it. So it still remains a, an absolute classic Madness song. And I'm happy that they still play it in, in their live shows. I think it would be very, very disappointing to see Madness live and not hear this song. Okay, so number one. Were you surprised by my number one choice, Polly? I know I was surprised by your number three. <laughs> I was very, very surprised by it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, not surprised that you picked it. 
Okay. Um, but it's not a madness song that I, uh, I uh, pops into my head when I think of great madness songs, but I, I do like it. Okay. So yeah, Polly, you we haven't I, even said what it is. What we is have it? it. We have it. I was going to say, so Polly, you and I really kind of, we have a, a little bit of a, a deviation in, in the kind of music that we like. Right. And I kind of feel like you really like the old school, very heavy ska. I like a lot more of their more modern stuff. Um, so my number one song that I chose was That Close. album the liberty of norton folgate there's a really interesting story behind that song but i would like to save it for when we talk about the liberty of norton folgate i want to i don't want to um tell all the cool stories now and then have nothing to say when we talk about norton folgate but i really enjoy that song and that song for me when i listen to it i mean it's it's not just you know remember them sunny days i mean i listen to that and i really feel like the end of summer, you know, that, that, that time of year where the days are starting to get shorter again and the weather's starting to get a little bit cooler. And this song, whenever I listen to it, it really takes me back to that time of year. Uh, so I won't add any, anything in for that close. Um, suffice to say that uh, maybe why I don't, uh, it doesn't stand out to me as a, um, a prominent madness song is that when I listen to Folgate, uh, I almost always listen to it as one unit. This, the album is so strong that um, I just uh, I'll I'll listen to it start to finish. It's 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 one thing to me altogether. No, I, you know what? I think that that is actually that's very a very fair statement and really. You're absolutely right. I mean, The Liberty of Norton Folgate being this concept album, it really, it seems a little strange to pick one little piece out of it here or there. Um, it, it seems maybe a little bit out of place. I, I agree with you on that. Uh, I did choose it. Another reason I chose it is because it is the title of Suggs's autobiography. 
which is that close. So he chose to name his autobiography after this song. So that's another reason why I chose it as my number one. Polly, what's your number one? All right. Well, um, <clears throat> so no coincidence here. Uh, and not only is it my number one, it's, it's the best Madness song ever. It's Baggy Trousers. And so there we go with Baggy Trousers. And again, a song we've mentioned a bunch, a bunch of times already on the podcast, but um, just unbelievable song. Uh, it really, really hits home being at a Madness show and seeing the crowd go absolutely nuts for that song. Great to listen to at home too. Just jumpy, really moves along. And like I said, it's that portrait of a life of a kid uh, growing up in the UK. It's fantastic stuff. Good choice. Very good choice. You know, the band had put out a call um, back in like August, right? Beginning of the school year. They were trying to get fans to submit a video for a baggy trousers lip sync challenge. I wonder whatever came of that. I never, I actually submitted something. I was, <laughs> I dressed up in my full doctoral robe and, and, and the little uh, six quarter cap and everything. And um, I submitted something, but I, I think for whatever reason, they just didn't do it, which is a shame. I was kind of hoping to see what they would come up with for that, but uh, oh well, good choice, good choice. So, so that kind of leads us up to about 86 or so, which was the end of Madness. Now, not all the songs that we chose in our top five were pre-86. Some were later. Uh, Madness split up in 86, as we mentioned in our previous episode. But it wasn't the end of the band, as we're going to see moving forward. And there was no shortage of other projects for Suggs to work on in the interim. So in our next episode, we're going to start talking about that and some of the other uh, collaborations and the other projects that Suggs worked on, including some solo albums that were not released here in the United States. All right. And before we go, we wanted to congratulate Steve Kozak, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, so Steve entered in our contest um, celebrating our 1,000th download, and Steve has won a copy of Absolutely on 180-gram vinyl. So Steve will be reaching out to you and sending Absolutely to you very shortly. Congratulations, Steve. That's awesome. That winds up the first of two episodes about our man Suggs. Our next episode will be January, what was it, 10th? It sounds about right. All right. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. 
And um, thank you, Lori, for all the wonderful research. We're going to close things out with a little listen to Sug's rendition of Sleigh Ride. That's appropriate. So That's all for me. And, yeah. and goodbye from me. Thank you. And uh, happy holidays. Happy New Year. We'll see you guys in 2021. Happy holidays, Stateside Madness. Go get a beer. Together with you.